Hey, welcome to night school. We made it to 200. I don't pay too close of attention to the numbers these days, but I know that this is 200. Made it to 200 night schools before we even made it to 100 every night to school nights. We know which one is the tortoise. We know which one is the hare. And that means every night to school night is going to be the one that wins out in the end. So this one, night school, even though it's uh, moving along very quickly, uh, just keep in mind it's going to be the loser. This competition between shows, sub-shows. Hell, the other day I was thinking about making another sub-show. Every uh, night school's a... I don't know. I don't remember what the name of it was, but I had a brief fleeting idea for yet another show. I think it was a version of Night School where I play music. <laughs> I think it was I think it was a version of Night School where I sometimes play music, which what is that going to be? <clears throat> what is that going to be? Every night's a school night. So sometimes you come up with a new idea that turns out to be the same old idea you've been doing. It's just the frame of mind in which you came up with this new idea was somehow different. You got there differently, therefore you thought the end result was different. But it was actually the same exact thing you've been doing for the last seven years. That's how much we hate every night to school night. That's how much night school hates every night to school night. It tried to come up with its own version. It tried to come up with its own version where it plays music. These things have developed minds of their own. And that's good. That's good. We want everything to have a mind of its own. We want people to have minds of their own. We want inanimate objects to have minds of their own. You want everything to have a little bit of personality, and that's why that's why you end up with Disney's Beauty and the Beast, and the, the, the lampshade has a, is a character. That's why you have the brave little toaster. We want everything to have its own little personality. And if it's ours, if it belongs to us, we kind of think that way. That's my toaster. That's my toaster. And because it's mine, it's a little different. It's a little more like something I can uh, maybe relate to because I put my hands on it every day. Other people do. I don't. I don't. I have a toaster that I don't use. It's just a toaster sitting over there in the corner. What do you call a toaster that you don't use? A bad philosophical question. A stupid philosophical question. But yeah, episode 200, I thought about, hey, maybe I'll do something special. Maybe I'll have something special to talk about. But it's actually going to be a free-for-all. And it's 12.25 a.m. It's after midnight on the day before Thursday. Actually, no, excuse me. Excuse me, it is Thursday right now. There's always that game people play where, you know, if, you've been, if you're hanging out with people, kids do this a lot. You know, kids, they learn things, they kind of learn how things work, and then they try to hold you to them. Growing up, you know, if you were at a sleepover, you know, it'd be like, oh, well, it's, uh, you'd say, it's it's Friday, 
And some kid at the sleepover would say, it's actually Saturday because it's after midnight. You know, there's always that sort of attitude. Technically true. But if, if it's part of a continuation of a night, like if you're at a party, if you're hanging out with people and it's after midnight, you're still participating in the thing that you were participating before midnight, which I think trumps the technicality of it being Saturday. But that's not true tonight. That's not true right here because we know Thursdays are so important to me. We know Thursdays are the day that the fact that it's 1227 makes this a Thursday episode as far as I'm concerned. And there will be no debate about that. I hit If I hit record... At 11.58, you know, maybe there'd be a little argument that it's still the day before Thursday. The DBT. Your DBT card. Oh, is that your day before Thursday card? Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd give it a little uh, chance. You know, I might say it. Yeah, D, it's a DBT. It's a DBT episode because I hit record before it was midnight. But nope, this is well after midnight. We are well into Thursday, so let's get that. It, it It's perfect. I didn't even think about the fact that episode 200 is now officially a Thursday episode, and I wouldn't have it any other way. But that's a, it's going to be a free-for-all episode. It's going to be a free-for-all, and... What to even say? I'm, I'm a little out of the loop on what's going on. I feel like now that these Democrat people have been chosen, I feel like now that the, the political process is moving along further, people's brains are just committed to that. And I don't fault them. That's what you do. Here's, here's your focus for the next few months. People have comments like, I like the pick. I saw someone I know say that. I like the pick. I like his pick. I like the VP pick. I don't know how that how you let that come out of your mouth and feel okay about yourself. But I, I say a lot of things that come out of my mouth that I don't feel okay with either, so I understand. It's just that mine aren't evaluations of political candidates. Because now's the time to invest. Invest your hard-earned emotional well-being in these political candidates, guys. Make sure that you in, invest your emotional well-being in these people. And if you don't do it, somebody's going to raise their eyebrow. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? The same people who hate America will tell you that you don't care enough about America because you don't vote or you don't invest in these people. Who are these people, anyway? Where did they come from? They become these household names out of nowhere. Some of them do. But uh, enough about that. I mean, I really have nothing more to say about that, only that now's the time. The, the doors are open for you to start caring. I know you already cared a little bit, but now's the time for you to really care. You want to really care, guys? I know, you, I know you cared before, but you, do you want to really care now? You're going to get uh, three straight months to care. 
and uh, it feels fun. It's fun to care about things. I like sports. I like competition. I was thinking about something recently, uh, speaking of sports and competition. You know, you often hear people say it's good for kids to play team sports. It's it's good for them to learn what it is to be a, a part of a team. But they don't really get specific. You know, yeah, you go to practice every day, you train together, you're trying to win as a whole. That makes sense. But I think it's important to remember the specifics of what that means, because I agree fully in that idea that team sports are good. And I can tell when someone either didn't play team sports or barely played and quit. That kind of thing. And I mean, I didn't, you know, I stopped playing high school football. I mean, I stopped playing football. I went to the summer practices, the summer training for high school football. And then I, and that's the worst part. The summer training is the worst part. You're having to go twice a day in the summer, two a days, as they call them. There was a show, a good show. I only saw it a few times, but I knew it was good just from those. I only saw it twice. I only saw it two a day. I, I don't know how to make that joke. I only saw two a days, two a day. I don't know. I don't know how to make it. Um, but uh, I saw it a few times. I liked it. But yeah, I went to the two a days and everything. And then I decided at the end, right when the season was starting, right when I was about to become a, an actual high school football player playing in the games, I decided to quit. And that's when you should be excited. That's the most exciting part of it. Because once you start playing the games for the season, that's where you have the fun. Win or lose, that's when the fun starts. You're actually competing against other teams. Your team, whether you're a good team or a bad team, you've congealed into a team. But for whatever reason, I went through the grueling summer practices. And at the end, I was just like, you know what? I'm getting way too into other things. I don't really really like the other guys on the high school team, you know, there's a lot more guys on the team when you get to that point. They've kind of settled into their roles and personalities, and I, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and I had other interests, art and music. Just didn't want to do it. But, you know, that said, my earlier experiences playing football, playing on teams, they were beneficial, and I, I will give a specific example. And the example is that you're not always going to like your teammates. You're going to have guys on your team that you don't like. They rub you the wrong way. You either never talk to them at practice, or you just you never develop any camaraderie. You think they're an asshole. You think they're arrogant. They're usually in a position like they're your running back. There's something. There's something that has some sort of prima donna. You know, there's something preloaded about it where it's like, uh, oh, I'm going to be the running back. I'm going to be the guy who scores the touchdowns. So something rubs you the wrong way about someone on your team. You might not hate them, but you just think, eh, I don't really like that guy. I don't like practicing with him. But then the games start against other teams, and that guy scores a touchdown, and maybe you made a block. And you feel this genuine excitement for him. For the team, of course, because the team scored a touchdown, but that guy you may not have liked scored the touchdown himself. He's the one who ran the ball in, and you do end up feeling this appreciation for him. You're like, hell yeah, and you go pat him on the back. He's excited. You're excited. He knows that you made a block. He know, you know, if, if he's a halfway decent person, he knows that other people helped him score that touchdown, 
And and it's those little moments I think that really bring out the value of team sports because they take people that you might not like because you're on a team with them, but it's not like you chose the team. It's not like you picked all your friends and made this team. It's like a bunch of random kids who happened to decide to play football. And in my case, not many of my friends did. You know, I made some friends through it, but you'd have some guys on your team you didn't like, and then you see them score, your team scores, and it really does develop a bond. It really does build chemistry. And you look beyond whatever it is you didn't like about that person, and you say, he scored a touchdown. We scored a touchdown. And that's an amazing feeling. Scoring touchdowns is is an incredible feeling. I had a team, the first team I was ever on, I was in fourth grade, I believe. And we were a ragtag bunch. We were like the little giants, you know, that 90s movie about the ragtag gang of misfits who were a football team. And we were very much of that because in our town, there was another team that managed to recruit all the good players. They were in a different part of town. And it wasn't a money thing. I think it was the coach was more well connected to the boys and girls club that facilitated these teams. The whole thing was run through the Boys and Girls Club. So I think that coach had better connections, and he was able to kind of pick and choose which players would be on his team and keep this core group of players that he had worked with for years. I don't know that there was anything underhanded about it. Maybe it was just it maybe just a kind of a good old boy thing. He'd been coaching a long time. He managed to keep those kids, because it was supposed to be drawn purely through what neighborhood you lived in, but I think they 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 blurred the lines of those neighborhoods so that this other coach could have some better players. But our team, we were just a ragtag bunch, and we just got smeared every game. It was sad. We just we got beaten badly every game. We didn't even. I think it was our first three or four games. We didn't even score a single touchdown. And then there was this one game, I think we were in Seattle, we were playing a team that was a ways away, and one of our guys just busted out, and he ran all the way to the end zone, and we all ran with him, and we were just so thrilled. Even though we didn't win that game, we finally scored a touchdown, and that just says it all. I mean, it brings a tear to my eye to think about it, because it it was just, I remember this kid, his name was Nate Lee. He was... uh, a half black kid and his brother ended up getting shot through like they were playing around with a gun. It wasn't any kind of like deliberate shooting, like a neighbor of theirs had a gun and they tied a laser pointer onto it so they could pretend that it has had a laser sight. And so they were just screwing around in their apartment complex parking lot, just pointing the laser sight that they taped on. Like it was a late, like any kind of, it was like a laser pen that you could buy at the mall and they duct taped it or something to the, to a real gun, and they were just kind of playing around. And of course, as often happens in those situations, the gun went off, and this guy's brother got killed. And so the, the family had this tragedy. And but Nate Lee was his name, and he scored our first touchdown, and we were all just so thrilled. And this was—I I, like this kid. You know, it wasn't—he wasn't an example of the of a kid who I had a problem with or anything, but. Uh, it was just to to have everybody, to be a team that sucks. We suck. We were terrible. You know, I played football for a number of years after that, and this team in particular was just terrible. 
We were a ragtag bunch of misfits who could could not do anything. Most of the kids didn't even understand what they were doing. They didn't even understand the most basic rules. And the coaches tried. But, I mean, you're dealing with, like, third, fourth, fifth graders. You know, it's it's it's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. And uh, scoring that first and only touchdown. We might have scored touchdowns later. I don't remember. But we didn't win a game, and we got that first touchdown after this just – it was a it was a drought. It was a drought, but I mean, a drought implies there was water in the first place. But in our case, there wasn't even any water to begin with. There were no touchdowns to begin with. So this drought was just a. It started as a drought, and then we got one little trickle in one game, and it was just the most exciting thing in the world. And so that's something that team sports does, and I think that's one of the reasons it always rubs me the wrong way when people are anti-sports, and specifically anti-team sports. I understand not wanting to play. It's a big commitment. Even as a kid, even as a little kid, you go to practice all week. You go to practice every day of the week after school. You know, your parents have to arrange rides, and then you play a game on the weekend. So, you know, it's a big time commitment. Uh, And... uh, but that said, it's like you're not going to like all the guys on your team. Some of them are really going to rub you the wrong way, but there are moments where you transcend that, and they can be that guy scoring the touchdown, or you know, you find moments of camaraderie. And I think that's something that you can take and apply to all sorts of different situations. There are all kinds of other situations that don't involve peewee football, There are all kinds of other situations. You know, it could be work, business. The boss really liked our project, you know. So in that moment, you don't hate that coworker who you normally can't stand because you both got a pat on the head from a boss. It's those little things, though. It is those little things. And uh, that team sports mentality is strong right now where people are on their teams in terms of what they believe in or think they believe in or what you believe in or what someone else thinks you believe in, you know, what part of the checklist uh, you mark off in your all-important, permanently established beliefs that you got to stick to. You got to stick to them or you're a hypocrite. You know, you got to stick to them, man. Can't be a flip-flopper. Um, so it's, 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 we get into that, we get into that. And then unfortunately in that thing, it's like, yeah, if you already agree with everybody, if you vote a certain way, you celebrate the victory of your candidate or you celebrate when something bad happens to somebody who you disagree with, but you don't really have those breakthrough moments where you're like, oh, somebody I don't like scored a touchdown for us. Or they did something really cool on the field and they deserve, you know, a a knock on the helmet. They deserve you to do that thing where you lift up your hand in a fist and you just pound their shoulder pad to say good job. When when I played, maybe it's because we were too young, but there wasn't a lot of butt padding. Every once in a while, maybe a coach would give you a, a quick pat, a quick swat. But there wasn't a lot of that between players. I mean, there was none of it. 
I don't remember another player ever swatting another player in the butt. I know they do that later. I know they do that when they are men. But the boys don't tend to do that. The boys aren't ready to touch each other's butts. Just to, if they're not ready, you got to get to a certain level. But it's it's camaraderie. And you know, I, I like I said, I didn't play through high school. You know, I, I managed to make it to the NFL. That's the really strange thing about all this. I quit when I was 15. I didn't play high school or college ball, but they still wanted me in the NFL. The The Green Bay Packers still wanted me. They were saying, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers is, you know, he's, he's getting a little bit old. Even though he's like two years older than me. Uh, they they He's getting a little bit old. We gotta we gotta start thinking about other options, and uh, you know that was that was a good run for me. That was a good run. Uh, you know that was before the Arizona Cardinals, and you know now here I am. Not much to show for it. No ring. Just the ring I bought myself with the a dragon on it. it. Has a big dragon that sticks out. Saw a photo of a guy that I grew up with who had brain damage. And he... I was told that. He was on a soccer team of mine, speaking of teams. And my mom communicated to me that he he was born with some kind of brain damage. And he wasn't... You know, he, he wasn't... Op- you know, you wouldn't know it offhand. You knew there was something a little off. Maybe he was a little dumb. But uh, you wouldn't have known that he had brain damage from birth. But I guess his mom said something, and my mom told me. Never used it against the kid. Never said, you have brain damage. Or anything like that. Um, but I, I saw a photo of him, and he's he's one of these guys now where he, he wears, like, you know, he's 34, 35, like I am. And he wears skull shirts, like it, almost like the pun. It might even have been the Punisher logo. And his hands, on his hands he has... A bunch of these big rings. Not just, you know, bands. I'm not talking about bands, as they call them. I'm talking about these big, bulky rings that are, like, sculptured. Like, I don't think I saw any dragons, but they have things on them. And, for example, his pointer, middle, and index finger. I think I got the names of those right. On one hand, they all had a big ring. So these big rings are right next to each other. It's not just like a ring on your uh, index and pinky finger or something like that. It was like three big fat rings on your big three fat fingers, you know. And then on his other hand, I saw a couple too. And it's like, that's an interesting look. It's interesting to be the guy who has a lot of rings. Especially not, you know, not like a gangster with a few gold bands on your hands. It's not like this guy's going for some sort of uh, slick drug dealer sort of look it's sort of like a I don't even know if I'd say hot topic although I think that's in there somewhere I think probably one of the rings came from hot topic Uh, you know I think about these things I see these things and I think about these things I think about where those rings came from where'd those rings come from anyway this is a kid I haven't seen in years I'll never see this kid again I will never see this young man, this man, 
I'll never see this man again, but I know that he's a 34-year-old walking around with a big, fat, sculptured, like, they look, they're pewter. They're like pewter. They're like, uh, it's like if you put Warhammer characters, you know, Warhammer pewter figurines, it's like if you fasten them to rings and put them on your hands. That's what I'm talking about here. This isn't comfortable stuff. These aren't comfortable decorations. These are a statement. And with like a Punisher skull t-shirt. And I think he had a cross necklace, which I like. I like the cross. Not an upside, not an inverted cross, not a pentagram. And that's an interesting angle. That's, that's always an interesting angle when a guy... Well, one wears a cross, but he's indifferent to religion or Christianity. Kind of like a, that Ozzy Osbourne Sabbath era, Ozzy wearing a cross, which was cool. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly what his stake... I know, I mean, some of Geezer Butler's lyrics are, you know, very... They praise God for sure, but I don't know what Ozzy's own take on it was. But, you know, Ozzy wore that cross... I don't know what this kid's thing is, though. I don't remember him being particularly religious, but he has a cross around his neck and these big, bulky rings, these pewter sculptures on his hands. But you know what? Why not? I guess it's strange to me because he wasn't like that when he was in high school, when I knew him. So to know that this man went through a path in his adult years that led him to decorating himself in this way. And I guess given the last two episodes, I'm very preoccupied by people's jewelry and their decorations. Uh, And why shouldn't I be? They want you to be. When someone puts things like that on, they want you to think about it. They want you to notice it. I guess they don't want you to wonder where it came from. Where'd you buy it? Where'd you find it? You know, what's, what street were, we, were you walking down and you looked down and there was some discarded pewter ring shaped like a demon's face that you stick on your finger? You know, what alleyway did you find that in? I don't know. But I guess this is a good segue to, you know, talk about that cross, talk about that decision to wear that cross. It's something people casually do. I have a cousin who is quite a bit older, and I remember he was visiting, something like that, and we all got in a hot tub, and I was shocked. And I was a little kid, but I was shocked when he took off his shirt, and he had a gold chain with a cross on it. It was just unexpected. And it may have been something his mom bought him and he just decided to wear. Maybe his grandma got it for him and it was just, it was more about that. Because I didn't think of this guy as as a religious person, but I was just a little surprised to see that. And at that age, I had no thoughts whatsoever about the Christian cross. I mean, now I'm in favor of it. Now if I see someone wearing the Christian cross around their neck, I, I feel a little bit of kinship maybe. Even though I'm not a Christian, I just feel a little bit, I feel a little more comfortable. I think I'd feel a little more comfortable in our current environment seeing somebody with a Christian cross around their neck rather than the alternative. 
which is a, a neck tattoo. A neck tattoo. You know, I, I feel like I, you know, I might have a better chance at forming a new society with that person with the cross around their neck than I would the person who has a neck tattoo of really anything. <laughs> really anything. You know, I don't know that I want to start a society with that person. And, you know, and that's what I'm going to be doing here. Episode 200, this episode, it's really going to be about the people who I'm going to be forming a new society with. Obviously, I'm going to be there. Batty's going to be there. I'd like my friends to be there. Although I also like the idea of my friends being part of a different society so we can visit each other and compare notes. It might be more effective to have the people that I like the most be parts of different new societies so that they can influence those societies in a way that will be complementary to mine and we can trade, trade ideas. I don't know about trading goods. I don't know how many goods are going to be getting traded here. I think we're still going to be going to supermarkets in these new, with these new societies. We're still going to be going to supermarkets with these new tribal societies. And we'll run into members of other tribes at the supermarket. I've had, you know, that was the topic last episode, you know, how this guy from a band I recognized was behind me in line at the supermarket the other day. And then I went yesterday, and the girl in front of me in line was the same girl who hit on me because of my dog a couple weeks ago. I just thought that was funny. I was like, I think that's her. And she kind of, you know, she kind of dropped her mask and turned around. And I was like, that's her. That That's the girl. I don't know if there is any recognition in this mask world, although... You know, it doesn't even matter. I mean, we could wear cloaks and still recognize each other. I can tell from the way my friends walk who they are. You know, I can I can see the back of someone's head once and then see them front on in a different situation 10 years later and be like, oh, that was that guy. I was behind him in line once. Yeah, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but somehow we're able to do that. That's why there's more to what we are than just our faces and our voices. We can kind of just get this feel for a person's outline and know that it's them. And maybe there's scent involved that we're not even aware of. Maybe there's some extra sensory stuff to it. Maybe we're picking up on that thing that some people like to call a soul, and by some people I mean me. Maybe I knew it was her across the store because I could just kind of, I got a little sense that, oh, that's, that's her soul. I know that soul. That's that soul that approached me and flirted with me about my dog. Maybe I should have uh, turned the tables and flirted with her about the uh, cider she was buying, whatever it was. Oh, oh so you're buying cider, huh? That's a, that's a really good choice. 
that cider you're buying, it's it's a real it's a really good choice. It's a really good choice of cider. You know, I, sh- I should have um, should have said that. I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. I'm so fucking stupid. I could have talked to her. I could I could have said something about her cider, and made it about her. I could have made her choice in cider, if that's even what it was. It could have been some kind of juice. It was a strange shaped bottle. I could have said, that's a really interesting shaped bottle of whatever you're buying. Oh, you, oh, you don't remember me because of my mask? Um, you hit on me because of my dog at, at the school when I was walking there. I'm just returning the favor. That's how you get girls, guys. That's how you get girls. You return the favor. It's going to be the name of my book on getting girls. It's called Getting Girls, colon, Returning the Favor. But you got to run into them. and You can't be too quick. You got to run into them again at the supermarket a week after you see them. You know, you know, the universe has to do its little trick. The universe has to work its little magic on you. The universe has to do its part. It has to pair you together again. It has to put you in line at the supermarket. In fact, what the universe is doing to me right now is it's putting me in line at the supermarket with somebody of note. No matter what I do, you know, no matter how much I try to avoid it, the la- based on the last two times I've gone to the supermarket, it seems to want to put me in line, in the checkout line, with somebody that I'm aware of already. Whether they flirted with me because of my dog, my incredibly handsome, cute dog or whether it's some guy from a you know a big fish in a small pond band who i recognize seems like the universe is trying to keep me in the same checkout lines as people that i'm already at least peripherally aware of so i'm curious to see who's next these things come in threes it's like celebrity deaths where they say they come in threes you ever notice how celebrity deaths, they come in threes? Oh, Alan Rickman and David Bowie died. Who's next? Matt Damon? Matt Demon? Who's next? Matt Demon? Good. No, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't think that's good. That's not me saying that it would be good if Matt Demon died. Unless he truly is a demon. And even then, I'm not going to encourage it. Oh, these things come in threes. Matt Damon died, and then Ben Affleck. And then Kevin Smith. These things always come in threes. And they were all 27 years old. You know that? You hear? Matt Damon died yesterday. Ben Affleck died today. And I hear Kevin Smith is going to die tomorrow. And they're all 27 years old. They stayed 27. That's what you don't hear about these people who died at 27. The big 27. 
the Bermuda Triangle of Ages. Janis Joplin. Jimmy James Hendrix. Jimmy Moore. Jimmy Morrison. Jim, I, his name's Jimmy Morrison, but I call him Jimmy Moore. I call him Jimmy Moore. They all die at 27. Well, it turns out they, they were actually like 37. They were 38. They were 40. They, they were lying about their ages. Jim Morrison was 53 years old when he died. Jimi Hendrix, I mean, I, I don't know his exact age, but from what I hear, he had his senior citizen card. I hear he was a senior citizen by then. Janis Joplin, she was 14 years old. It's all just an urban legend that was never disproven. They weren't 27. But, um... Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd love to get back to something. I'd love to get back to something here. No, well, I, I, just the state of things. I'm not feeling too bad. I'm not feeling too bad about things. You know, I have my own worries. I have my my own immediate worries. There's things that we all need to worry about. You know, every time you buy food, every time you pay your mortgage, it's another uh, it's another drop in the hat, and you might not have anything coming in to replace it. And so you're just wondering what you're going to do. I understand that. Uh, but, you know, if you can move past that, if you can get beyond that stuff that's, you know, the obvious roof over your head and food in your belly, those sorts of concerns, what are your concerns? I mean, there's plenty of them. If you look, but it, it's also easy to ignore them. And I guess maybe that's when the mob comes to your doorstep, when you least expect it. Maybe that's when they figure out you're Frankenstein. Because that's my biggest crime. I might not look like Frankenstein, but if you if you were to see my brain, it is sewn together. It, it is a patchwork brain. My brain looks like Frankenstein's body. It turns out Frankenstein's body's pristine. Frankenstein's brain looks like a, a pearl. It looks like a, a perfect little pearl with lines running all around it. My brain, it, it's, it's sewn together. It's hacked up. It's pieces from one brain. It's all put together, and it grew that way. It wasn't the result of some sort of surgical intervention, my my brain grew into a Frankenstein brain on its own. And when people find that out, well, they're going to be using more than pitchforks. They're going to be coming with scalpels. That's what I'm worried about. I'm not worried about getting chased up a mountain by a bunch of townsfolk with pitchforks. I'm worried about them coming with scalpels saying, lay down, this is good for you. What we're going to do is good for you. We're going to do something to your brain with our scalpels. 
And then you're going to just, you're going to start saying all the things that we want you to say. You're going to start, you're going to say the words that you haven't said yet. That you really need to say. Or else you're not on our team. That's what's going to happen. If if they find out you have a Frankenstein brain. A Frankensteiner brain. That's what's going to happen, is they're going to come after you with scalpels, not a pitchfork. Maybe it'll be a pitchfork made of scalpels. Maybe it'll be a pitchfork made of discarded heroin needles that you find all over town. You know, if I were one of those lame, uh, folky artists... Like, I worked with a guy, and this is going to sound like I'm talking shit, I'm really not. But he would make art sculptures out of garbage. And he was aggressive about it. You know, you, you think about, I know a lot of artists, and uh, there's people, that they show their work, they do things, they, they want their work to be known. But there's some artists you meet, and they're just downright aggressive. Like, they're, they're out to get their work seen and displayed and, and, and placed in showcases. And the, it turns out the guy who made sculptures out of garbage did exactly that. And... Just to give an example of one thing he did, I worked with him, and he would I never saw it, but he would tell me about his ideas, because he found out I was an artist, and I actually liked the guy. He had some problems, but I liked the guy. Turns out I can like somebody with problems, but anyway, he told me, he was like, I designed a bicycle, and you take, I found these garbage bags somebody had gotten rid of, and I tied the garbage bags to the bicycle wheels so that when you ride the bicycle, it fills the garbage bags up with air. And I'm probably not explaining it perfectly, but you get the idea. All I know is that when you ride this, I think it might have been a stationary bicycle for that matter, which makes things so much worse. (laughs) It's so much worse as a stationary bike, if that's the case. But anyway, it was some sort of bicycle. I think it was a stationary bike connected to garbage bags that when you ride it, it fills them up with air. And this was going to be something that was put on display somewhere. This this was going to be something that people looked at. And I said, God bless him. God bless you. God bless you. You know, what else can you say in response to that? I'm not going to say... That is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. You know, I'm not going to say that. But what do you say? I mean, I can barely say anything in response to something like that. I designed a bicycle, and when you ride it, the garbage bags that are fastened to it fill up with air. And it's a state. And the thing is, too, is his art was always like, it's a statement about... the disposable nature of our consumer society. There's always something like that in it. It was always some sort of environmental or, you know, industrial or consumer... consumer uh, commentary. It was topical. I should have said, I don't get it. That's what I should have said. She said, I don't get it. I don't get it. 
be like, I, I'm doing something too. I, I, oh man, dude, we should collaborate. I'm doing something too. It's where I go out in the public and I, uh, I pull down my pants and I show them my. So I go out in public, you know, and I'm wearing cargo. I'm, I'm wearing cargo pants, and I and then I go out in public and I pull down my pants and I show them my. You know that that'd be my response. Well, you, while you're riding your uh, you, your garbage bicycle, I dance around you with my pants down and my hanging out. Sorry, me doing that noise upset Batty. It would probably upset anyone. Probably upset whoever's listening. But that's what happens. That's what happens when you censor yourself. Deep down, even if you agree, even if you agree with the censorship, even if you think, you know, I really didn't want to hear the word. I really didn't want to hear him say, he pulled out his, you know, even if you don't want to hear the word, there's also something about censorship that kind of grosses you out too. There's something about censorship that grosses you out, too. At least that's how I feel. But to turn things into a slightly different direction, because, I mean, I had no intention of talking about Bill's garbage bicycle machine today, although I never forgot about it. And, Bill, if you ever happen to listen to this, I loved the idea. I loved the idea. You know, to me, it was, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of my own art, Bill. Uh, and even though you got in trouble at work for uh, flirting with an 18-year-old girl who re- re- rejected your advances, and as your supervisor, I had to get involved, I had to intervene and tell you to stop talking to her. Uh, I don't know if you thought the fact that you're a a 50-year-old balding artist somehow made you a more viable sexual candidate to an 18-year-old girl who had just graduated high school. And I know that you tried to get her to hang out with you by saying you volunteer at the local theater, the local art theater, and you get free tickets. And you, you tried to kind of guilt her into going with you by saying, yeah, I get these free tickets, but I, I just don't have anyone to go with. Uh, maybe you would want to go with me? Maybe you would want to ride to the movie theater with me on my garbage bicycle that f- as you ride it, it fills up garbage bags? Maybe we could ride it all the way to Burning Man. We could ride my garbage bicycle all the way to Burning Man after the film. I'm being mean. I'm be, I'm being really nasty here. For episode 200, uh, I'm being really nasty about some guy I worked with. But this is all true. And I named names. How dare I? That's what you get when you do an episode after midnight. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm going to turn the corner here. I'm going to turn the corner to something better. Bill, I don't mean to call you out, call you out, man. And if for some reason you tracked me down and listened to my podcast and heard this exact snippet where I talk about your garbage bag bicycle 
and your, I mean, borderline harassment of a female employee. It's been 10 years. You know, I did you a favor as your supervisor by telling you that I wasn't going to write you up because I felt that you were smart enough to not do it again, and you didn't. And I ran into you again a few years later at the movie theater that you volunteer at, and you smoked me out with weed you had, and we smoked out of a bamboo. It was a piece of bamboo that you said you grew in your garden, and then you kind of like split it so that it became this weird little like pipe. It was almost like a little chillum, like kind of like a straight pipe that veered out. And it was really cool to smoke out of, and you got you got me and all my friends high at this event we were at, and that was really cool of you. Although every time I saw you after that at bars, anytime I was with a group of people, and if I happened to be sitting any near anywhere near a woman, you always gave me a little nudge and said, huh, I'm kind of getting a vibe you're with her. Did that multiple times. But that said, Bill, you know, I'm not judging you. And this is all true. This is all a true story. This is a real guy I know. And I, I actually liked him. <laughs> if this is how I talk about the people that I like, man. Oh, boy. Um, but it, let's go into some uh, territory. This, I know how much people love it when I read. I know how much people love it when I read little passages from Buddhist texts, but I think episode 200 needs a little bit about a little a little bit of that. And this one's called Look Within. And these are all from the Dhammapada, which I'm finding has some very succinct and uh, at times cutting but nonetheless perfectly profound little statements that are worth thinking about. And this one's called Look Within. There is no fire like greed, no crime like hatred, no sorrow like separation, no sickness like hunger of heart, and no joy like the joy of freedom. Health, contentment, and trust are your greatest possessions, and freedom your greatest joy. Look within. Be still. Free from fear and attachment, Know the sweet joy of living in the way. Pretty simple one. Pretty simple one, but an important one. The beginning says it, you know, something that I needed to take account in that rant against Bill and his garbage bag bicycle. There is no fire like greed. Well, I wasn't greedy of his of what he was doing, but no crime like hatred. I wasn't hating him, but I, you know, I, I think that I was being a little hard on that guy. I think I was being for a guy who was pretty nice to me. I think I was being a little hard on him there. But health, contentment, and trust are your greatest possessions, and freedom your greatest joy. It's true. That's the truth. I think that's an objective truth. I don't think there's anything subjective about that, not to get into the whole objective, subjective. I'm a philosopher. What's objective truth? Well, it's not subjective truth. But what if it's everybody's subjective truths put together? Doesn't that make it an objective truth? 
Who cares? Uh, health, contentment, and trust. If you can't value those as your greatest possessions, what else do you got? A, a bicycle that's designed to blow air into garbage bags. So that uh, I mean, just just beautiful guys, just beautiful. But uh, I'm going to read a couple more. Just I'm going to allow this to be a little inter, a little interim period. And uh, yeah, I think I'll read this other one here. It's called "Hatred Never Dispels Hate." May have read this one before, but it's always worth reading. It's one that I have earmarked, and I continually come back to it, even though it's obvious. But sometimes you got to earmark the obvious and return to it. Sometimes you got to reabsorb the obvious now and again. And this one in particular is important, especially in a time like now where hatred is the currency. It's always there. It's always a currency. But we can see where hatred is the currency between people at this moment. Not all people. You know, I don't. Hopefully, I don't need to say that that it's not all people at each other's throats. But we see where those are the people on stage right now; those are the people performing, and it's like a Gallagher performance where they're smashing watermelon and it's flying all over the crowd. But pretty soon, it might be something worse. They might. It might be a Gallagher performance where they're smashing your brains might be your brains flying all over the crowd and they're wearing their rain slickers like any you know good Gallagher fan would they're wearing their rain slickers knowing that fruit and watermelon are going to hit them except this time they know it's your brains but uh hatred never dispels hate look how he abused me and beat me how he threw me down and robbed me Live with such thoughts, and you live in hate. Look how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Abandon such thoughts and live in love. In this world, hate never dispelled hate. Only love dispels hate. This is the law, ancient and inexhaustible. You too shall pass away. Knowing this, how can you quarrel? Ancient and inexhaustible. The law. Only love dispels hate. The ancient and inexhaustible law. And I like that this little passage, it's reinforced with, You too shall pass away. Knowing this, how can you quarrel? And maybe that's been one of the blessings of, of having a major death happen in my life, immediately preceding what's going on now. In seeing the sweet whisper that goes on between life and death in its as as a human body transitions from one to the other, in, in seeing that and and recognizing that at least under those circumstances. I don't know what happens when someone gets smacked by a semi-truck in a crosswalk. I don't know if, that, if, that, if that's quite the same sweet whisper. 
But what I witnessed was really a sweet whisper as life entered death. It was like a conversation between old friends. I mean, it was ancient and inexhaustible. And it was weird. It was very strange to see that, but yet it didn't... In the moment, it didn't feel that weird. It was more... The weirdness was more... Is is this happening right now? When is the exact moment? How do I know for sure? Because the vitals drop, but then there's little spikes, and you know, you just don't entirely know, and maybe it's better that you don't know the exact moment scientifically. Maybe it's better that you don't know the exact millisecond. But what I witnessed was life and death exchanging a sweet whisper as someone's life passed to the other side. And so having witnessed that, I feel like any reference to the knowledge of our own death as a reminder, which is always there. It's always a reminder. But in not living in fear of it, in not fearing your own death, it's more of a guideline. When you're not afraid of your death, you're not trying to bounce away from it. You're not trying to like bounce off that wall into another part of the funhouse, into another part of the jumping, bouncy place, whatever those things are called. Those, the bouncy palace that you'll find at a carnival. You're not trying to continually bounce away from death. You acknowledge it, and it's sort of this guideline. And it makes it very difficult to get into petty arguments and disagreements. Because you're not in fear of it. If you feel like you can lay your head down and go to sleep and not think, I didn't finish that album. I didn't finish writing that email. I never made that million dollars. I never made that million dollars. I never finished that drawing. If you can lay your head down to sleep every night and know that those things aren't going to weigh on your soul as you go and that you did what you could with what you had, that's not just going to aid you in the bardo. It's not just going to aid you in whatever it is death brings even if it's simply death, even if that sweet whisper I referred to is the transition between life to permanent nothingness, which I don't personally believe in, but could be that. I'm not going to rule it out. But even if that sweet whisper isn't a whisper between worlds, but it's a whisper between this world and a non-world, no matter what that whisper is, It's uh, something that should reinforce your life, and it should reinforce the decisions you make in your life. And, uh, you know, I just made a decision to go on and on about this guy I worked with and all these personal details about him and his garbage sculptures and his tendency to hit on 18-year-old girls as a 50-year-old artist 
You know, I, you know, I don't know. People get there. People end up there. People end up in far worse places. Some of it might be out out of fear of death. Although I kind of get annoying, uh, you know, I kind of get it. I kind of get annoying. <laughs> I do kind of get annoying, but I do kind of get annoyed when people try to make things all about death. It's similar to that Freudian. It's all about sex. Where it's like those are a big part of things, but to say that that's all of it is to deny an essential spiritual component. It's like saying somebody works out. Oh, you lift weights so girls will like you, and you're going to get laid more. Oh, I know why you work out. <laughs> I know why you work out. It's, it's so the girls will give you more attention, and you'll get laid more. Yeah, it's not, it's not bad to have women think you're more attractive. I mean, I suppose it's better than them thinking you're disgusting. Because at least it gives you the option. But to say that fitness is is all about some sort of making yourself aesthetically attractive to women, no, it's not. You know, that idea of being the warrior monk is not all about, oh, you know why guys become warrior monks, right? They're just looking to get laid. They're just looking to get... You know, I have this friend, Mike. He was a good guy. Mike was a good guy. He devoted his life to this weird fucking thing. He called himself a warrior monk. But let me tell you something. Mike was just doing it because he thought he'd get laid. You know, so it's, it's, there's, there's paths you go down. And I mean, of course, people will always use, I mean, tons of people do work out. Tons of people do get into fitness for that exact reason. But to think that that's the total motivation for something like fitness, well, while it might apply to somebody, it's short sighted, it's narrow. Although I do have to say, though, it's like having options, I think, is always... Having options, I believe, makes you stronger in some ways. It's why renunciation does have a certain power. Because when you renunciate, you are saying, I could do this, but I'm not going to. Because I believe that renouncing doing these things is going to bring me closer to God. It's going to strengthen my yoga, my union with God, with what this whole thing is, with this blessed thing that glues us all together while remaining a far more central part of the whole thing. It is the whole thing than simply the glue. It's more than just the glue. That's how I describe it. How would you describe God? Well, he glues everything together, but he's more than just the glue. Let me tell you that. Um, but, you know, that's the thing about renunciation is with renunciation, 
there's a level of choice. It means you have options, but you're choosing not to pursue them. It's like somebody who is, uh, what's it called? Uh, what's not quadriplegic? What's the other plegic? Someone who can't use their legs. Someone who can't use their legs. Are they renouncing walking? Well, they're not walking. But are they are they renouncing it? Probably not. They can't walk even if they wanted. And that's cool too. They can still be cool. Somebody who can't walk even, you know, somebody who can't choose to walk because they are, is it paraplegic? Yeah, I think it's paraplegic. I think we found it. Um, Someone who's paraplegic, you know, they're no less cool because they can't walk. But you can't really call it renunciation. You know, it's kind of like an incel who I defend, and I have defended on here. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like an incel, somebody who want, who's involuntarily celibate. They want a girl, and they probably want her affection more than they even want the sex. They just want a girl in their life. And that's the real sad thing about it, is they probably are looking for affection more than anything. And that's why you see in prostitution the GFE, the girlfriend experience, where guys just want to cuddle. They might not even have sex with a prostitute. They, have, they pay to have what's called the girlfriend experience. They, have, they, they get an hour of a prostitute, I guess, kind of acting like their girlfriend or kind of like babying them, I don't know, stroking their hair. I don't know. It's been a while since I paid for a GFE. I don't know how much it's changed. It's been a little while since I I had the girlfriend experience program myself. No, but really, I I can only assume what it entails. I assume it's just it's more sensitive. But uh, you know, a guy who can't get a woman, even though he desperately wants them and tries. He's doing everything he can, but he's an incel. He can't honestly say that he has renounced romance or sex. Maybe eventually he can. Not to say that an incel can't reach a point where he can say, you know what, I'm done with that struggle. It was never working out for me. It it really damaged my ego. It damaged my spirit. It was twisting my soul into a corkscrew. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become a monk, and I'm going to mean it. And in that way, he can renounce it. He can renounce his attempts to achieve love or sex or whatever it was he was after, even though he didn't achieve it. But that said, there's something more powerful in a way in somebody who has the option, somebody who has the ability to attract women, yet chooses not to. Or maybe he doesn't even choose not to. Maybe they simply just don't have it anymore. Maybe they just don't have that component in them that makes them think, gotta get a girlfriend, gotta get a girlfriend, gotta get a girlfriend, gotta get a girlfriend. I gotta get a girlfriend. A girlfriend. You know, maybe that part of them has simply 
Maybe it's dormant. Maybe it's stayed away. Maybe who knows what it is. Somebody might say, oh, they're gay. Oh, he's gay. Maybe not. Maybe there's just some weird, you know, their path has led them to such a place that while they have options, those options are no longer desirable to them. And so there's something powerful in that. There's something powerful in that form of renunciation where it's available to you. The option is available, but yet you choose not to participate. Interesting stuff. It's interesting. It's like having a drink in front of you and choosing not to drink. That's a more powerful form of renunciation than I can't find a single grocery store open who sells beer after 2 a.m. Guess I'm not getting any beer tonight. Guess I'm not getting any beer tonight. That's not really renunciation because your options weren't there. The liquor store was closed. You're not drinking tonight. Not exactly renunciation. You know, I'll give you a bonus point, but it's not worth much. Whereas, you know what? I'm going to go into Total Wine. I'm going to go into BevMo and take a look at all the great... Oh, they got Sharkinator IPA beer. They got Hound's Tooth. They got Mississippi Mud. Oh, let's look at the whiskeys. Let's oh, let's look at the whiskeys. They got um, uh, Eagle Rare. Oh, look, look at that beautiful bottle of Eagle Rare. What about the vodka? Let me go look at the vodka. Oh, look! Look at that. They get they got Finlandia. Oh, and the bottle's all textured. They got Svedke. Svedke. But you buy none of it. You leave empty-handed. You took a look at all of it. You looked at the bottles. You thought, oh, this is impressive. And you bought none of it. That's renunciation. That's renunciation. So, not that you can't renounce something when you don't have an option to indulge in it. But there's something extra powerful when you renounce something that you have total ability to indulge in. When you have a list of girls you can text right now, but you choose not to. Got a lot of a lot of girls you can flirt with through through the text message. What would you even flirt about them with? How would you even flirt with them? Coroni vi much? 2020 much? What do you think about uh, what Stephen Colbert? What do you think about what Stephen Colbert said about uh, Kamala uh, Harry? What do you think about Stephen Colbert's interview with Kamala Harris? Oh, oh, me too. Me too. You're cute, you know that. You're cute when you're talking about uh, Kamala Harris, the way that she interviewed on Stephen Colbert. Colbert. You're very, very cute when you talk about uh, 
You're very, very cute when you talk about uh, what Trevor Noah's said. Oh, you remember the NRA? Oh, you're a Buddhist Republican? Nazi much? What do you even flirt? How do you even flirt anymore? You know, I, I popped on Twitter the other day. I haven't been on there very much. And like it was like, here's news that you would find interesting. And it's like, they renamed a trick in the remake of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater video game. I saw that and I thought, this is news. They renamed a trick. And here I am repeating it. That's how you know the disease, the disease just gets you. The disease creeps in so quickly and easily. But yeah, sure enough, I, I see this thing and I'm just like, this is news? They renamed the name of a trick in Tony Hawker's remake. And it's a remake. Like, they're remaking all these video games. They remade Final Fantasy VII recently. A great game originally. Gotta remake it. And change the name of the trick. Hey, did you hear about the trick? That's what I should say. It seemed like such big news. The fact that this was trending on Twitter. I should have gone to the grocery store. And like when I'm talking to the cashier, they're like, how are you doing? I'd be like, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Did you hear about the trick? And they're like, what trick? Oh, they, they renamed one of the tricks in Tony Hawk uh, Pro Skater Remake. Seems like it's pretty big news. The person goes, are you kidding me? I love that trick. I love the old name of the trick. I, lo I love the old name of the trick before the remake when they changed the name. This is where we're at, though. This is where we are at. And I don't say that cynically. I say that from a very constructive place. Because if that's where we're at... We can go places. We can really go places from here. This is episode 200. You know, tomorrow there'll be 500 episodes. In 10 years, there'll be 10,000 night schools. And I'll, I'll still be saying the same exact things, probably. But, you know, if this is where things are at, we can really go places if we clear our minds we can we can just fly high. I was talking to my friend the other night, lifelong friend. We grew up together. And he ended the phone call by saying, I wish you the best. And I said to him, I said, well, that's great because the best is possible. And we had a laugh, you know, we had a, we had a, a good like, uh, a laugh of agreement, because that's the thing. You have a this happens especially with good friends, where you have a laugh of agreement. Because I meant it. He said, "I wish you the best," and I said, "Well, hey, the best is possible." And I think that's something that people need to remember: the best is possible. Maybe the best is a bicycle art sculpture, where when you ride it, it fills garbage bags with air. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the best available. Maybe that, you know, fills a niche. Maybe that f fills a purpose. I don't know.
but uh, I'm going to continue here with the mindset that the best is available. And I don't want people to get tricked by the, quite frankly, sick mantras that people repeat. And they don't do it to be bad people. And they're often good people. And they're often people who are in good places in life. They're often not the people who are getting kicked out of their houses and, you know, begging for food who say this. These are often people who have it pretty good, but the the whole, like, could 2020 get much worse? So we're only halfway through 2020. How, how could it get much worse? Well, it's probably going to get pretty, pretty something. It's probably going to get pretty something as uh, the the erection approaches how's that for a good joke it's probably going to get pretty bad as erection 2020 approaches oh you, so now you're making fun of uh, i'm not going to say it not I'm not even going to talk about how certain languages change r's and l's not even going to talk about how there's a certain country in the world that would say erection instead of election. I just don't need that kind of heat. You think I'm looking for that kind of heat? I'm trying to be a baby face here. You know, it's because I see the world in pro wrestling terms, I'd rather be a baby face. I'm not looking to be a heel. I've been a heel before, and I'd rather not be a heel again. I like... I like that baby face energy. But it's hard to be a baby face. It's hard to maintain that baby face persona in a world that is constantly filled with temptation. In a world where you suddenly start talking shit on your coworker from 10 years ago because he made a bike sculpture that fills garbage bags with air when you ride it. And he hit on an 18-year-old girl when he was a 50-year-old man. Um, Got to keep reminding people of that. I'm not looking to me too the guy, for Christ's sake. I'm not looking to do that. I'm just saying we have interesting people around us. And what they do isn't always interesting. Like a bike that fills garbage bags with air while you ride it to make a statement about trash consumerism like that's not interesting but it's interesting to me that there's a man who does that and makes pipes out of the bamboo stalks in his garden and generously smokes you out in the local volunteer theater where he volunteers that's an interesting person and we're, we got all kinds of interesting people around and so i don't i don't dislike them just because I tell their story truthfully. Um, I don't know how that guy became such a point in my story here today. <laughs> the 200th episode. This 200th episode where I wanted it to be grand. I wanted to make all the finest points. I wanted it to be so uplifting. And I just keep talking about this guy for some reason. But it shows you how... No matter who someone is and what minor role they played in your life, somebody can easily just get lodged in there. They can easily get uh, lodged into the spokes of your garbage bicycle bike. 
We all have a garbage bicycle bike. Tell you what, if I get elected, every child will have a bicycle that when you ride it, it pumps uh, empty garbage bags filled with air. But it's poison air. And we'll have those children ride, we'll, we'll put gas masks on those children, and we'll have them ride through low-income neighborhoods. And we'll just see what happens as that poison air leaks out of those garbage bags. That's what a bad person would do. I don't see a lot of people being that bad. I see a lot of people being misinformed, blinded by moral righteousness. I see a lot of people who want to be cool. I see a lot of people who want to be accepted and liked by their peers. And the currency is of a political and socio-political, socio-cultural nature. I see a lot of people who I believe at the core of who they are is a desire to be considered cool and well-liked by their peers. And they know that deep down. People know that deep down. People know their own motivations deep down. You don't have to go to a freaking psychologist or psychiatrist to figure out what your motivations are. You know them. You might not be honest about them, but you know them. You know when you're just trying to be cool. You know when you're just trying to get your girlfriend to stop being mad at you because you wouldn't go to a protest with her. You know when you're just trying to, like, do whatever it is you do to stay in the cool club that turns out isn't even actually that cool. Because it turns out sometimes those people don't even like each other when all is said and done. And it's it's not a cool club if the people in it don't like each other. If there's not honor. That's a word that's missing. Honor. Think of your life like you'd think of the mafia. Not as a criminal secret society, but think of your relationships the same way you would think of the mafia. Think about honor. Honor means supporting people. Honor means not questioning someone you love's motives when they need something from you. And that doesn't have to be somebody in your inner circle. It could be a stranger. It could be a bum. You know, that's one thing the mafia had right among the many things they had wrong is there was this sense of honor that was sometimes abused, sometimes ignored, but it was still part of the conversation. It was still part of the oath. It still is part of the oath in some cases. And you don't hear it very often. You hear it in ceremonial circumstances. You hear people talk about honor in certain ceremonial circumstances. Oh, you know, he, the, the honor of being a soldier. He died with honor. There's a casual form of honor, too. Think like a mafioso. 
Make honor a daily part of your life. Honor the people in your life. Honor yourself. Honor this life. Don't try to argue with it. Don't try to argue with the fact that life is. Try to honor this life because you are a part of it. You can bring God into it. You can bring the universe into it. But you can just stay in your house and honor that. You can honor your life as a householder. Because that gets into Buddhism. Some people are householders. They're not monks. But a householder can still live an honorable life and should. But they are honorable when it comes to the mundane. And that sounds pretty great to me. Being honorable even about the mundane. In fact, that almost sounds more honorable than living some life of renunciation. It seems pretty easy to be honorable when you're not interacting with much of anything. Seems a lot more honorable sometimes to be a householder, to live a domestic life, to have to deal with your community, to have to deal with the people you know, but to still continue to behave in a way that honors something larger, something that makes that process meaningful. Because I think that's what that is. When you talk about the honor of being a householder, living in an honorable way as a householder, you still are honoring something larger in honoring the mundane. Happy episode 200. There's no real big deal to this, just another episode. But I hope in some way I've honored something here today. And I hope that every episode I manage to honor something. Even if I'm just talking shit, talking smack. Even if you have no idea what I'm saying. Even if I have no idea what I'm saying. I hope in every single episode I do, I'm conscious enough or, or I just unconsciously manage to honor something. Because I think that's the whole program. I think that honor at the end of the day is the whole program. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.